0: ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, Norman. Hello. So, Norman, I thought I might pitch you a couple of new podcast ideas today. I've been thinking it might be time for us to branch out from Corona CoronaCast. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just getting going here. You know, I'm ready for the next decade.
0: Well, we can still call it CoronaCast. Yeah. But it's about beer or the sun or maybe crowns. Just, you know, Corona Cast. What do you reckon?
1: I get your point. No, we're we're playing with Corona.
0: I've got more opportunity op- options for you if you like.
1: Uh, I like the the sun one. I mean, okay. I'm, I'm always in favor of the Corona around the sun, as long yeah. as we can never look at it directly.
0: Yeah, it's the sun's halo. We love it. Uh, we could do Corona Cast about like Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin,
1: Nat King Cole,
0: Nat yeah. King Cole, Sammy Davis Jr., Nora
1: Jones. Yeah, yep. there's heaps yep. of crooners we modern. can talk to. This is a job for life. <laughs>
0: cat cast About cats? People like cats?
1: You're pushing your luck now. I hate cats.
0: Oh, I forgot who I was talking to.
1: Let's get on with the real thing. Oh,
0: you're so unimaginative. Okay, fine. I know.
1: You sparked me off. Well the, the sun's fine. Okay. And, and I like the beer without the lime.
0: All right, fair enough. Well, let's do Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus, sometimes other viral nasties as well much less often about beers, the sun and crowns. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turrible Land.
1: And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan coming to you from Gadigal Land. It's Wednesday, May 17th, 2023.
0: Norman, I have been having such a good time just throwing news headlines at you these last couple of weeks and just making you respond to them quite quickly that I'm going to do it again to you this week. And we actually passed quite an interesting milestone in Australia this last week, especially for you and other people like you who are in New South Wales, which was the last jurisdiction that was still doing government funded PCR tests where you'd go in your car and someone would stick a swab up your nose for free. And that's not happening anymore.
1: Look, I I find it personally sad that that's the case because I was probably one of the first people in New South Wales to get it.
0: Oh, you're such a trendsetter. I love this about you. Yeah, tell us about your very, very early foray into having a stranger stick something up your nose.
1: I got quite unwell during the early part of the pandemic and I had to go and find a PCR test and I drove into this deep, dark garage and it was like something out of all the President's men. Somebody comes out...
0: (laughs) Instead of deep throat, it was deep
1: nose. Yeah, somebody comes out with full PPE on who I've never seen before, didn't know who he was or, you know... Probably never again. Uh, and instead of giving me you know juicy details about some politician, stuck something <laughs> or got me to stick my own thing up my nose, and then I and then I drove out of this car park.
0: Oh, I remember this because they were like, "You're a doctor. You
1: can do you can do it yourself." Oh, well, that's right. And um, <laughs> and as I was driving out of the car park, I turned on ABC Radio News, and like the second item was. Norman Swan goes for a PCR test. I thought, God, we're getting really down and dirty here. Anyway, I was negative.
0: Well, that's a relief.
1: So that was a long way around to say that it's finishing up. I mean, I suppose, you know, you still can get your PCR tests, but you've got to go to the pathologist with a GP referral.
0: I mean, in terms of just the volume of people who are needing to get those tests now, it's so much less than it was. One because, well, not so much because there's less COVID around, but we're better at managing it if people do get sick. And there's they're not the same mandates around it if you are positive.
1: So there is a problem. And the problem is we're relying on rapid antigen tests, which are not nearly as accurate. And you've still got people who work in aged care and in hospitals who are catching COVID um, and going into that environment. And what I'm hearing is that in some jurisdictions, the test turnaround for PCR, which is really accurate, measurement of um, of COVID is slowing down. So it's not just that the clinics are, are shutting down, is that the turnaround of pathology labs is slower. And therefore, your ability to control COVID in the hospital environment is slower, particularly since some, some hospitals in some jurisdictions are giving up on masks, or not so much masks, they're giving up on the N95 masks, going back to the blue masks, which as we know, from three years into this pandemic, that those blue masks, at least with Omicron, are not as effective, nearly so, as the N95 masks. And therefore you have, in Australia, intra-hospital transmission, which is quite a dangerous situation.
0: I know I said that this was gonna be a rapid fire news segment, but I do have a question about that. Why is the pathology lab taking longer to turn these things around when the volume that they're dealing with is so much less?
1: That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to it. But I am but I am getting complaints from people who work in hospitals that when they need a rapid answer on this and they don't wanna rely on a rapid antigen test because it's in a critical situation, they're having to wait for too long for the test result to come back. And I'm hearing that more and more. Don't know why. Why It's probably because the labs are busy doing other stuff and it's a lower priority. I don't know.
0: So at the beginning of this show, I promise that this is a show about coronavirus and sometimes other nasties as well. Let's talk about some of the other nasties, ones that we had before COVID came along and specifically flu, influenza and it's in its various types and RSV, respiratory syncytial virus virus. Um, a name that I can now say and not trip over as much as I used to but when I first encountered it. These are two viruses that we're hearing of, the, of surges happening in the community. But I wondered whether, given that we spent the better part of the last three years in various stages of lockdown and social distancing, it makes sense that other respi- respiratory viruses also were sort of on the down. How do the current sort of trajectories of flu and RSV look in comparison to pre-COVID times.
1: For RSV, we're relying on hospital reports, particularly from Victoria, which are saying that kids are coming in with both flu and RSV. They're They're seeing both rising. And RSV is a particularly unpleasant respiratory virus in younger people. In the United States, there's been a vaccine approved for older people, but it's still a nasty disease in younger people. And you don't want to get flu and RSV at the same time. And they're seeing a surge of flu cases in kids. And just to remind people about Flu, it's of particular risk to kids under five, elderly people, and pregnant women. So, if you, you know, those are the people who absolutely must get immunized. We all should get immunized, but those are the people who absolutely must get immunized. And if you're pregnant, get immunized whenever you're pregnant, get whatever the time of year is, because you do not want to catch influenza. Bad for you, bad for the baby. But you're absolutely right, Tegan. If you actually look at the statistics in 2019, there, in the month of April, there were eighteen thousand seven hundred forty-five um, cases of influenza reported. Twenty twenty, that dropped to three hundred and four. Twenty twenty-one, that dropped to sixty-four in April, and in twenty twenty-two, last year, that went up back up to five thousand eight hundred twenty-eight. This year, the April statistics, which are really just in, are 13,607. So that gives you an idea. Now, last year, we had a huge jump in May, June. So it went to 68,000 in May and 111,000 in June and then started to drop back down. So fairly typical flu season. So the question is, what is going to happen this year? Um, I think we only have reliable data up to about the 8th of May the anecdotal reports are that people are seeing surges around the place and we may well see those May statistics going up. But you're not getting that sharp rise that we saw last year in May and June. But it's early days.
0: So we talked a couple of weeks ago about the fact that you can now get a RAT, a rapid antigen test that tests for both COVID and influenza that you can do at home. If you test positive for flu, is it a notifiable disease? Do you have to report your case? I guess the question I'm trying to get to is whether we might actually end up with better visibility on flu stats because people will actually be able to confirm whether they've got flu or not. Because in the past, you could just feel really, really rotten, and you don't—you didn't know what you had. And you sort of—if you're well enough to be at home—it
1: kind of didn't matter. Yeah, I think these flu statistics are based on GP uh, pathology labs reporting positive influenza swab tests. I, I'm not sure there is a mechanism. I should know the answer to that question, but I'm not sure there's a mechanism for rapid antigen test reporting for influenza. But influenza reporting is always an underestimate of how much influenza is out there because it's really just the people who are tested that you're picking up rather than the people who never get tested. Let's
0: go to uh, overseas. And we have had as our, the cornerstone of our vaccine rollout, mRNA vaccines, a brand new technology that wasn't really around before COVID. We've now got a couple of mRNA vaccines and China has just sort of rolled out its first homegrown mRNA vaccine in China. So what, is, what does this mean for China in terms of its pandemic response? Because it's had quite a different response than um, a lot of the rest of the world.
1: Well, it's great that they've got an mRNA vaccine. That's, that's, that's terrific. But the problem is the evaluation of that vaccine, the transparency of the data, knowing how effective it is. That's been a problem all along with the Chinese vaccines. So we need to see... Solid proof of that. They say that they've got a phase three study which shows effectiveness, which would be great. We can't, you know, that'd be fantastic for China with a very large country and it needs its own homegrown vaccines, just like most countries do. But the actual data are not been properly peer reviewed at this point.
0: Right. I mean, I should say the the source for this is the Global Times, which is uh, a local China.
1: Well, it's like the Daily Mail of China.
0: Fair enough. And what about China more broadly? Because they've recently sort of um, increased, increased their number of cases because of reducing some of their restrictions that they'd had in place.
1: We just don't know, is the answer to the question. They're still reporting cases. You could look at some statistics. And it looks as if there's a surge on in China at the moment, but it's really unclear uh, and this has been the problem with China all along. You've really not got much of a clue of what's going on. And even when it was looking quite bad, you, you weren't getting a, much of a, an accurate fix on what was going on. So you just have to assume that what's happening in China is, is the same as what's happening elsewhere, is that they're seeing waves of coronavirus coming and going. And it's likely now that the borders are open with China. If something starts in China, say a new subvariant of Omicron, then that wave will pass through to other countries. And equally, sub that might start from somewhere like Australia could actually move to China and you get waves there too from um, international spread. But we just don't know.
0: As we've heard, other uh, public health experts say time and again, viruses do not respect our borders. Uh, but that's all we've got time for on today's CoronaCast. We'll be back next Wednesday. See you then.